0: Who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and happy Monday. What a busy weekend it was. Yes, a preliminary indication from a federal judge in Miami that she will consider appointing a special master to go through the privilege claims that the president has for the documents that have been seized by the FBI. That is an interesting twist in term. But we're going to take the whole show. Up. So we've got two really great guests coming up back to back. I think you're going to really enjoy it. First up, Kash Patel. We're going to ask him a little bit more about why he believes the president declassified lots of documents at the end of his presidency. Kash Patel was an eyewitness to it. We're going to ask him what he witnessed. And we're going to get to the bottom. I think that's going to be a really important story for tomorrow and on this podcast today. So we're going to dig in on that. And then we're going to talk to a former Justice Department top official, Katie Sullivan. She ran the Office of Justice Programs, was a deputy assistant attorney general, about what it is she sees in this battle between the National Archives and former President Donald Trump. You heard Kevin Brock last week on this show, on the TV show say that he thought that the Justice Department had criminalized a records dispute that was best left for the civil court. I'm going to ask Katie about that. What are some of the things that she's beginning to see? And also because she was in a program that looked at all the justice programs, including enforcement of IRS and tax laws, we're going to ask her about the 87,000 IRS agents and what that says to her about the IRS. As well, the IRS has a new equity action plan, which is designed to inject the issue of race into the IRS's agenda. I'll ask her about what that may mean. Does it mean that going forward that audits and other decisions by the IRS could very well be influenced by racial equity issues? We're going to ask Katie about that. So two great guests, Cash Patel, Katie Sullivan, back to back right after this. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out. who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 98 98 right now. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. When the search warrant affidavit finally came in on Friday afternoon, there was only one name in it beyond President Trump's, and that is of Kash Patel. The FBI went out of their way to mention him in an affidavit where all the other witnesses were protected, all of the other players, much of the evidence- that the FBI purported to have was all blacked out, but they left Cash Patel's name in there. He was not happy, issued a scathing statement. We're going to follow up with Cash right now and talk to him a little about what was going on, why it's so important, what he said is in that affidavit, and also what the FBI was trying to do by singling him out. Joining us right now, the former chief of staff to the acting secretary of defense during the Trump years, former National Security Council member, and before that, the chief counsel of the House Intelligence Committee, when it unraveled the FBI's Russia misdeeds, Cash Patel. Cash, great to have you on the show.
1: Hey, John, thanks so much for having me on to talk about this.
0: I want to start with the idea that they took all the names out, they made a big deal, saying we're not giving up any witnesses, we're not doing anything, and then your name shows up in there. Was that an act of gratuity?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, if it was an act of gratuity, I'm still waiting for the uh, pay tax and the
0: gratuity. <laughs> Maybe gratuitous uh, well, that might be the right word.
1: Now was intentionally uh, an act of evil, as, as if you want to call it what it is. That's what they do.
0: So when you look at this now, and, and I've been watching the reaction for several days, it seems like the media perhaps has slowed down a little bit. No,
1: if that's what they're arguing, then they don't have the story they want, so they'll just continue to put out disinformation like they have. But when you've done such a good job of putting out the truth, about what happened surrounding this incident, um, they can only avoid it for so long because many in America—not all of them, but many—we've been effective. Have grown tired of the RussiaGate disinformation op, the Hunter Biden disinformation op, the Jan 6 disinformation—you know, insert any other op you want—that they run together with um, their friends in the FBI and DOJ, who have chosen to politicize law enforcement
0: and their allies in the news media. I mean, they can't get away with this if it weren't for the news media's one-sided coverage. I mean, we had Kevin Brock on the show on Friday, the former intelligence chief. He said that the search warrant simply was illegal. It simply didn't state a crime, which is what you have to do. That's a really significant voice. He's not anybody. He's the former intelligence chief of the FBI, normally a defender of the FBI. You don't see anybody covering him or giving that credence. You don't see people like Alan Dershowitz or Jonathan Turley getting any attention in the mainstream articles. It's a one sided debate. It propagates much like it did with the Russia collusion story with hysteria, not facts, with uh, opinion substituting for fact. Do you feel like the American public, uh, as you look at the public sentiments, there's a lot of people believe this is a political vendetta, like a strong majority of Americans. Do you think the media's ability to sustain this story is, has waned because we've been through it before?
1: Uh, yeah, especially since the they're assisted by the Department of Justice and FBI, the same people that did Russiagate. And it's literally, and we've outlined it, the same people, the same DOJ officials, John Carlin and Lisa Monaco, are the same ones. One of my former bosses, when they launched Russiagate, they were at the DOJ running national security. It's the same counterintelligence people at the FBI. These individuals intentionally decided to politicize this affidavit for many reasons but one which I wasn't even expecting them to do was put my name out there. It added absolutely no value. While every procedure at the Department of Justice in relation to protecting parties and people's names, we would always, in any affidavit before court, um, not utilize anyone's name. And in this case, you see what it's there for. They They chose to unredact it. They could have simply left it redacted and they wouldn't have changed what was shown because so much else was redacted. They did it for political effect because they wanted to try to silence me and President Trump and everybody else and get the mainstream media to threaten me, which they've done. Uh, but that will not have the effect they have desired.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure of that you're, you're going to stick to your guns, as you always has. Payback, maybe, for the fact that you embarrass them by exposing the Russia collusion mistakes. Do you, do you feel it's, there's an element of payback there?
1: Yeah, these people have shown they have no objective ability to do anything, and they don't even know what the oath of office they swore to means anymore. It's all about payback and putting their, quote unquote, enemies um, in the crossfire, uh, crosshairs. But, you know, it used to be a department where uh, the only thing that matters were the facts and the law. And clearly now America has seen that they don't care about either The only thing they care about are political vendettas and hijacking the law enforcement and intel community to execute and implement them and showing a two tier system of justice in the process. That in and of itself, that last thing is what is going to turn and has turned so many in the public off. And that is why the media can't grasp them again with their fake disinformation campaigns.
0: Now, let's talk about the substance of what was in there as it related to you. You were quoted, as you've been in this show, as saying that Donald Trump told you that he had declassified the documents that ended up in his residence and then taken from the residence to Mar-a-Lago. Let's walk through that. You're, at the time, I think, acting chief of staff to the acting defense secretary. You're in an Oval Office meeting one day or multiple times, I guess. Uh, When did you find out and how did you find out that the president was declassifying a bunch of documents to take with him?
1: Um, Yeah, I don't remember the exact day, December, January. The president had been working on these for a while to issue um, declassification orders and did issue declassification orders. And one of the times in the Oval, he had, you know, Russiagate docs. um, And he said, again, you know, these are declassified. The American public needs to see them. And that's it. That's that's literally. Now, what I don't know. I didn't pack them and take them to Mar-a-Lago. I didn't know there were even documents at Mar-a-Lago until the world found out, so you know, there needs to be clarity on that.
0: But no doubt that the president was declassifying documents verbally, which is, by the way, all he has to do, in multiple times towards the end of his presidency, and they probably weren't all Russia-related, right? There were other documents besides Russia collusion, correct?
1: There were other ones, uh, yeah.
0: Were other people present at the time? Any, who else was in the, uh, the Oval Office? Uh, do you remember any other witnesses or people that were there at the time?
1: There were. I just don't remember who was in and out. You know, we were we were doing a lot of things um in those last couple of months, uh, mostly um uh, trying to secure a no fail mission at DOD and withdraw out of Afghanistan um the right way. So, you know, there was a lot of these meetings and um sometimes this happened on Talon. But yeah, there was there were people around. I just don't remember who.
0: So it shouldn't be hard for the FBI, if they want to find out, to find other people that were present when the president was declassifying documents and getting ready for his departure. That's something I think a lot of media reporters haven't taken the time to contemplate. There may be people out there. And it's one thing to quote people three, four years ago when they were at the beginning of the administration, but this was stuff that was going on towards the end, right? So the last staff secretary, the last chief of staff, folks like you, those are the people that would have been eyewitness to this, right? Right.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think you have it right. It's it's the uh, it's those types of people um, that would have been there. But you know, it's uh, it, it's up to, it's incumbent upon the DOJ and FBI to show that this material was not declassified, and whether or not it was handled improperly or properly There's a whole other debate um, that's already been settled by the DOJ and FBI's application of these statutes to Hillary Clinton. So I'm not even sure purpose of the search warrant is since they've said under the law and the fact that they've laid out for president trump there's no way he could be guilty of those crimes based on their
0: own analogy yeah if justice is blind they got to treat hillary clinton and donald trump in in the similar vein which will be interesting to see they clearly haven't already just by virtue of the raid david kendall hillary clinton's lawyer got quite a bit of treatment i want to step back because it is the one-year anniversary of our failed withdrawal and we we look at this now and uh, you had a plan, which wasn't followed. Chris Miller's been on a show. He had a plan that was your plan that wasn't followed. When I wrote last week that General McKenzie said, listen, I told President Biden, and I know he heard me, that if he didn't keep 2,500 troops, that the Taliban would quickly overrun the country, which is, by the way, 100% opposite of what Joe Biden was telling us a year ago, 11 months ago, 10 months ago, nine months ago. You hear from a lot of folks in the Pentagon the heartburn about the way we exited and the way we've misled the American people still burns really strong, doesn't it? A lot of people not happy with what we did.
1: Well, absolutely. And, you know, just over a year now ago, 13 uh, soldiers were killed in Afghanistan because President Biden literally turned over Bagram Air Force Base and the detention center there. And the suicide bomber from that base jail cell left and blew up the people our soldiers in Afghanistan, 13 of them, that is a direct result of the politicization of the national security apparatus by Joe Biden. And um, what you're talking about is an extension of that. When we told him before we, we, him and his administration before we left, you can't leave no troops there, it's never gonna work. You can't give up Bagram, you can't not have a special forces contingent in country and they they didn't care. They literally don't care um, about what actually is happening They only care about the headlines. And what did Joe Biden want? A political headline to say, I, Joe Biden, was the one who got us out of Afghanistan. Well, the headline needs to be every day. I, Joe Biden, killed 13 American soldiers on top of of drone striking children in Afghanistan and killing them.
0: It's remarkable that a year in, most Americans, because of the media sources they read, don't know what General McKenzie said, don't know that... The president's and his defender's statements aren't actually true when you look at the body of record that was left behind. There's also another part of this, which is, well, that Donald Trump deserves some of the blame because it's part of the media narrative, because he started the process of pulling out. But the difference is, while he was still in charge, the Taliban didn't overrun the country. In fact, they were quite careful not to because they knew there would be hell to pay. When did you know, watching from the outside in after you left office, when did you know that Biden was going to fumble this
1: when i was still there so yeah the proud that i was um, a part of in the Afghan withdrawal for president trump was we lost zero service members not one casualty while we started our withdrawal out of because we did it based on intelligence and as you said we did it with diplomatic and military um backing um when we were ordered to transition the administration Defense Department plays the largest role in any presidential transition. And, of course, we complied. We issued the largest DOD transition in history. They, our counterparts, the Secretary of Defense and the incoming chief of staff, of the Pentagon, could not even be bothered to call us back. They didn't want it. They wanted nothing to do with it. They didn't read our plans. They didn't read our memorandums. They didn't read our intel analysts. They couldn't care less. They just said whatever Trump did, we're doing the opposite. And I knew we were going to fail the second we left. And they did.
0: It's just remarkable to think that not listening. I mean, one of the places where politics has always stayed out is in the transition in the security apparatus of the country. Even when we're changing presidents, the new guys listen to the old guys because there's a need for continuity. Security is considered above politics. But in this transition, by all accounts, and I've talked to people at the career levels of the Pentagon, there was a partisan, we will not listen to anything Donald Trump's people have. We don't care what they have to say. That seems to carry through not only in the Afghanistan transition, but the fact that you guys offer them troops to maybe be better prepared for January 6th, they didn't even want to take that. Do you think history will look back at this moment where they didn't cooperate, where they didn't engage the current people? And I assume the only reason they didn't engage was because you were Trump people, right? Oh, yeah. They didn't want to engage. They didn't care about the national
1: security mission. They cared about what the media and what the switch-ons cared about, which is blaming Trump for everything and making sure he never runs again and getting him out of office and impeaching him and anyone who helped him, they're going to come after and, and target. And now we've seen that. And so it didn't take long for America to see what happens when you politicize the national security apparatus before it's at the, if, um, whether it's at our border, whether it's the opioid crisis in Chinese fentanyl, whether it's the human trafficking trade, the rise of terrorism, um, the invasion of Ukraine, um, the, the catastrophe in Afghanistan and other theaters of war. This is what happens when you don't have a commander in chief with the ability to dictate to to the world leaders that America first and America security is paramount. We just have we don't have that more. We're not going to have
0: that anytime in the future. Oh, it's scary. It's scary to think about the, the consequences of all of this. I want to turn just real quickly to what Congress has done. You you had such a monumental role in exercising Congress's constitutional oversight abilities to show that the story we were being force-fed by the intelligence community, by the FBI and Russia collusion wasn't true. You You unraveled it against enormous opposition in the intelligence and FBI community. We now hear from Mark Zuckerberg, we now hear from the FBI itself that yes, they were telling social media and others the Hunter Biden story in the spring of 2020, the laptop story in the fall of 2020 was disinformation. What job is it of the FBI to tell people what to politically debate?
1: Well, it's not. It's the job, it's a, it's a job they've their, their uh, role by politicizing law enforcement and going out and targeting politics political opposition any way they can. And Zuckerberg's a prime example. We've said it since day one that Mark Zuckerberg and and, um, his, you know, whatever you want to call it, Facebook or whatever the company's called, um, was used to stamp out Donald Trump and his administration and his policies. And now we know that. Now we know Facebook entered the election rigging space by coming in and swallowing the FBI's fake information about Hunter Biden's laptop and then Mark Zuckerberg had the ability to affect more people than any one company on planet Earth at the time by uh, suffocating the truth on the story. And it's it's funny he goes on podcasts and whatnot and says, "Oh, I believe the FBI ought to be good." Well, most of them are, but you would know that they were extremely corrupted if you posted the accurate information about a RussiaGate information. And you haven't come out and since said that you got it wrong and that you should not have suffocated the Hunter Biden. Uh, Laptop information. He tried to make a feeble distinction between how he and Twitter handled it. Um, uh, But the distinction without a difference, they both helped um, target Donald Trump and rig the election, and the FBI was one that led them there.
0: Yeah, they deprived the American public of critical information to understand who the next, uh, to understand the candidate who wanted to be the next president of the United States ultimately became that because of the suppression. Really remarkable. You've done a lot of thinking about the FBI, done a lot of investigating. You've felt their wrath in this most recent filing. But when you step back, is there a role for the FBI? Can it be fixed? You believe in law enforcement. You're a federal prosecutor. You believe in capturing the bad guys. You don't believe in defunding the police. What is the way for a future administration, the next administration, to fix the FBI? The current administration seems to have no interest, but people want to fix this, is it scrapping it all together or is there a path to fix it through good, good leadership?
1: Yeah, there's a path to fix it, it's gonna take time, and it's gonna take the right leadership and you know, people don't want to hear that necessarily, I understand why, but I'm, you know, as much as our FBI, I'm the one guy telling you that um, it's the, and DOJ, it's the one place that can be saved and it serves a purpose um, to combat crime and support American security. But you got to wipe out every political leader out there that's in these institutions. And they have to be held accountable, not just by an inspector general, but by the Department of Justice who's willing to prosecute its own for violating the law. And that's what people need, is A, accountability when those who sign up to serve break their oaths of office in the law, and B, they need the return of a single-tier system of justice, not one for us and the rest for them. Um, Our rules apply when we selectively want them to, that motto, that attitude that has now become... The, the the new way the FBI and DOJ have run because these political hacks are back in charge targeting people um instead of law enforcement is what needs to be rooted out. And it can be done. It's a tough fight. It's a tough battle. It starts with Congress in November when the majority switch and then, you know, it's on into 2024.
0: You've been now, you felt the wrath of the FBI with this, but you're willing to try to fix it, right? To work with a group of people to get this right. When you see all these whistleblowers coming out at once now, it's over 20, might be closing in on 25. When you took it, Ron Johnson, Jim Jordan, James Comer, and of course, Chuck Grassley. It seems like the FBI's own employees are crying out for help, crying out for someone to intervene and say, hey, we want to stop the silliness and get back to what we do, does that restore some faith in the rank and file that they know that their agency is sick? Uh,
1: Some, you know, these whistleblowers that are now coming on droves, which is what we need, I think will shed a lot of light on how the corrupt FBI has acted. And then there needs to be a monster investigation into this uh, Donald Trump raid at Mar-a-Lago, the underlying affidavit. What we did to Russiagate needs to happen here. The documents need to be forced to be public, all of them, without one redaction um names uh to protect to protect people like we did during RussiaGate. it's possible no one died um no security measures were lost no national security crisis occurred like they said we just exposed their corruption and you're going to see more of that if we get that type of investigation and oversight from congress which i think we will from kid- committees the new committees that will come in and in like places like judiciary and intel and senator grassley and Jim Jordan are working the whistleblower programs the way they should be worked. And I think I have I have faith in those individuals to start this this
0: monster lift. Yeah, just remarkable. It just is a moment in history where the choices we make in the next few weeks, the next few months, the next few years are going to determine the future of this country. And I know there's a lot of good people that want to get it right. It'll be interesting to see if Washington gets out of the way and lets them to fix it. Cash, it's always an honor to have you on. You always give us the straight scoop. I think this is so important to remind people that there are eyewitnesses to President Trump declassifying documents and not just the Russia documents. When you think back to that time and you watched it, you saw people around and watch it, do you have a sense of what President Trump's motive was? It wasn't he was declassifying documents so he could give it to China, right He didn't like China, he didn't like Russia. What do you think his motive was in declassifying the documents that now the FBI is you know, trying to get back?
1: Transparency. That's the answer. He was a transparent president, and he ran on that. He campaigned on that. He tried to do it to the best of his ability and to the very end, to the, to the last day. So whether it happened on day one or the last day or any day in between, he was a transparent president. And the, the question is, and the investigation should be focused on, once these declassification orders were issued, Who obstructed them and obstructed a presidential directive? Because, as you said at the top of the show, the president, and this is the law, is a universal arbiter of classification. If he classifies or declassifies anything by word, that's it. Now, there may be paperwork that that should follow. The question should be directed at the people who were supposed to do it, White House counsel's Office and, and, and whatnot, to say, why wasn't this paperwork produced? Um, But that procedure does not vitiate or make ineffective a order from the commander in chief for being transparent, because that's what the law is.
0: Yeah, pretty remarkable, really remarkable indeed. Cash, always an honor to have you on. Thanks for giving us these answers. I know the last few days have been difficult, but I think the American public are beginning to understand what really went on in this raid and what went on in the court system. And are you heartened that the uh, judge wants to put a special master in place? That seems like a win for the American public.
1: Nah, I'm not heartened by anything until I see the documents come out and their corruption exposed. I'm not going to give anyone credit for taking small steps that may look like uh, transparent. Yeah, until I see it all, I'm not. I'm not gonna say we've done. We've
0: accomplished anything. Yeah. Well, we're gonna keep pressing for the truth every day. Facts matter. That's what we learned during Russia collusion, and they still matter today. We just got to get them out to the public. You've done that with such extraordinary passion. We're so lucky that you do. Cash. Thanks for joining us today. Really glad to have you on. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You as well. All right, folks. We'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages who shares your love for our great nation? Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from Amac. Join today at amac.us/justnews. That's amac.us/justnews, and extend the invitation to a friend or a family member for free. What a great opportunity, folks! If you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset: our homes. and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Tattle Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge a signature on a home sale form, then he or she refiles as the new owner, and bam, your home is not in your name, and all of a sudden debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Our next guest, well, she used to be a judge in Colorado, so she knows how judges thinks. She then went to work for the Trump administration, ultimately becoming the deputy assistant attorney general for the Office of Justice Programs at the U.S. Justice Department. She is Katie Sullivan. Katie, great to have you on the show today.
2: Thank you, John. Thanks so much for having me.
0: It's an honor to have you. And you've got this great vantage point. You you used to be on the bench. You know what that looks like. And then you've worked inside the Justice Department. So you've seen the bureaucracy inside that machinery. Your thoughts about the last few days of machinations where we know the president was raided. We see the affidavit released. It doesn't seem to articulate a crime. And now a judge is coming in saying, hey, we're going to have a special master. I want to look at this stuff. I'm a little worried we're over our skis. Quite a topsy turvy weekend. What's your take on it?
2: Well, my take is, is this all started with a bureaucrat. Uh, if you actually, there's a CNN uh, story, or there was a panel that was put on in January of 2021 where Gary Stern, who started his career at the ACLU and then went into the government, has been with the government forever, is the general counsel for NARA. He, in essence, um, States in January that he, you know, what he feels about presidential records, uh, sort of a shot across the bow. CNN reported on that in mid February. So it seems to me like this has been something that was certainly cooked up uh, for some time. The White House is in in your investigation and and you bringing this to light, John, really. Connected a lot of doubt, dots for me, so it's this circular, uh, it's a circular logic in some ways, or, or circular investigation where a bureaucrat goes to another agency, that then goes to the the White House. The White House then says, "Oh, okay, we're going to waive the president's privilege," which is insane, uh, a banana republic kind of behavior. Then they go back and say to the DOJ, okay, so now there you go, we just made a crime. When every single piece of evidence was that President Trump was complying with every single thing that they requested, you want to come on property, you want to look through boxes, do you need anything? Here you go. So a warrant in this particular instance is just unprecedented. And I'm just guessing that the magistrate didn't have context. And quite frankly, I signed thousands of warrants and um, denied many. Uh, But I will tell you that it's really not, typically officers don't come and give you context. You are reviewing a warrant within the four corners. And as you know, John, probable cause is a very low standard. Um, So some kind of exigent circumstance where everyone's very concerned about these documents and there's something in the affidavit talking about, oh, there was uh, moving vans months prior that were in front of Mar-a-Lago and this created concern. CBS reported that. And so because of all that, they need this exigency of a warrant which they have 11 days to execute, and they sit on for, what was it, three or four days?
0: Three days, yeah, that's right. They get it on a Friday, wait until Monday, so they weren't that urgent.
2: This is all to create the perception that the president is a criminal. That's what it is. In my mind, this is all part of Washington, D.C.'s wholesale rejection of the most patriotic president that we've ever had. And when you think of that dichotomy, it's really concerning.
0: When you look at this, you, as like you said, you you signed a lot of warrants. You've seen them. You know what they look like. Uh, do you see the, a clear crime articulated in the search warrant affidavit that if you were a judge, you'd say, "Okay, I see what the crime is. I'm signing on it."
2: The one that the the thing that concerns me the most. Okay, so they have some evidence that looks like that. And and Gary Stern, the, again, the general counsel at the National Archives, been there forever. Um, they taught, uh, He's been described by his uh, colleagues as persnickety. And so, thinking about a classified document being in, you know, the wrong box, or maybe there's a newspaper clipping in there as well, or something like that. So maybe there, you say, okay, there seems to be. Uh, maybe a misorganization, uh, potentially. But then the crime has an intent element to it, John. And so really what the suggestion is, is that the president is going to use the information, uh, his own declassified documents, okay? And when we look at declassified documents, President Obama declassified uh, all of the Benghazi documents, right? So that he was able to keep those. Those aren't at the National Archives. He declassified Fast and Furious, complete criminal activity. Those are not with the National Archives. So, so I think that so President Trump declassified certain documents, and I really believe that, that to think that he did that to create to be you know a spy or for some kind of espionage or something like that is ridiculous. Um, I'm also concerned about what they took. It seems like they just threw a bunch of stuff and grabbed boxes and went through, you know, of course, horrifically, Melania Trump's, you know, uh, closet and, and, and dresser drawers. I mean, you can just imagine.
0: Seems such an odd place to be searching for documents, isn't it?
2: Yeah, right. But with a when you have what's called a filter team, and I don't think the FBI likes it when it's called a taint team, but that is the slang, but these taint teams um, still, even with them, they took his passports. Now, John, do you think maybe they wanted to see where his stamps were from and the, a, a, in order to look at, oh, maybe he traveled? out of the country or something with these documents. I mean, I think we all know where the president is all the time, whether he's giving a rally or posting something on Truth Social, he's very transparent. But
0: There's something really, when you look at the search warrant, there's nothing that I can see in the search warrant that fits the description of a a passport or, by the way, a former passport, you know, an expired passport what possible reason or is this really just clear evidence of overcollection?
2: Overcollection. But and the more I've thought about the passports, the more I thought, yes, it's overcollection, but nothing stops an agent from or someone at the DOJ from flipping through it just to see where he's been. Nothing stopped them from doing that and then saying, "Oh, whoops, sorry, we'll give them back to you." and yet you had a filter team there. And I don't know, this is not, I don't know how much press this has gotten, but filter teams are really under attack. There's at least 11, yeah, at least 11 cases, uh, high profile federal cases in which these filter teams were used that the evidence was either, the case was overturned, there were mistrials, there were issues, and now there's a, a request in in, in uh, one particular matter, which happens to be from the 11th Circuit, the same circuit uh, in which this case, uh, this search warrant was signed, in which they are asking the Supreme Court to decide whether or not t- uh, filter teams are just basically illegal. Um, and there is a presumption really in favor of using a special master as opposed to a filter team which has a built-in bias because it is it is fbi agents who are there allegedly filtering privileged documents
0: yeah and there's a case i believe with the securities and exchange commission Uh, i think just earlier this year they acknowledged that they we're wrongly filtering uh, documents regularly in cases and obviously uh, criminal cases, uh, financial criminal cases where we see a lot of the uh, uh, taint teams or filter teams uh, get employed. Uh, so there's going to be a Supreme Court. Uh, the Supreme Court is going to be taking this case most likely, right? You know, that's the United States versus Corp, right?
2: Yes, yeah, that's right.
0: And so that is there. You've got the SEC acknowledging that they have some misbehavior that they've engaged in over time so there is a reason for americans to say hey listen just because they say they put a team on this doesn't mean it's the right approach uh where do you think the judge will come down and As you look at you know you having been a judge yourself for i think more than a decade where do you think the judge comes down in this
2: oh i think she's put, i the there will be a special master assigned in this case i believe um, as far as the filter team is concerned, I don't know if that, that is not an issue that's been raised to my knowledge in this particular case, but it certainly, I'm sure, is somewhere that it will head. <laughs> and I think uh, more importantly is what does the Supreme Court do with the writ of certiorari pending now uh, in the, um, is it the court, court case, right, Mordecai versus United States? And so do they grant that, and do they actually look at the legality or of filter teams?
0: Yeah, that's going to be a big moment if it happens, right? Because this has become sort of standard practice now, although it didn't, these taint team teams, these filter teams didn't always exist, right? It's a more modern-day solution to dealing with these attorney-client or other privileged claims. Do you think the country would be well-served if the Supreme Court took this on?
2: Oh, yes. I think it would provide a lot of guidance. And I think, John, you know, you saying that this is a fairly new or fairly recent uh, development or 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 procedure protocol. I think it just goes to show how great, how big our government has grown, how big the FBI has grown, how you know, how how massively. Uh, the, the massive overreach of agencies, um, which I wrote about in a completely different context, having to do with the IRS and wrote another piece about the West Virginia versus EPA case. I mean, the federal government and agency, administ- the administrative state is out of control. That is all there is to it. And I, I don't know if the everyday America American really understands. That's what I was. An everyday American that came to serve the Trump administration because of my belief in his policies, because of my belief in, in, in what he stood for and what was happening to this country and how much I thought we needed a fighter like him with his ideas. And then to come into D.C. and learn how it actually operates, I just want every American to know this is, a, this is out of control here.
0: It's so amazing to see, as we learn more and more about this, just how comfortable the government felt on this raid, even though there were these massive thresholds. I think the New York Times today finally acknowledged, hey, this is unprecedented, unchartered territory. (laughs) This isn't your everyday legal case. And I think that is a sign that maybe now we're beginning to see some of the limitations, some of the problems with how they approach this when you look at this, do you think this is a criminalization of a document dispute, or do you think there is some legitimate concerns here that the archives has?
2: It is a criminalization of, of a records issue. It, 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 there's, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see a crime. I'm not saying that that's going to prevent a biased D.C. jury full of federal employees from indicting President Trump but what, or perhaps some of his senior aides, but what, what I, I do, I just don't, I don't see it. There's back and forth with every president. Again, you go to President Obama, you go to the Clintons, didn't they take 30,000 documents with them? And then, pre, and then Hillary Clinton and the emails that were on Elliot uh, or um, uh, Huma's husband's uh, Weiner's email,
0: yeah, laptop, right? Yeah, right.
2: I mean, and you think, seriously? There's 11 boxes of things. Let's sort it out. And a president who walked down when they were serving the grand jury subpoena, walked down to personally greet the, the law enforcement that he supports, shaking the FBI's hand, saying, if you need anything at all, you call me. This is seems to me as something that happens in the normal course of business with other presidents, but of course, President Trump is treated differently because he's an outsider, and you know the thing that I think about every day is how he says they're after us, and he just doesn't he stands in the way, but what they're who they're really after, John is us and again i I think the piece about the i r s agents kind of lays out ways in which they really are coming after us.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of concern that this government has gotten so big that even the laws that are designed to restrain them to protect our Fourth Amendment, First Amendment, other rights, they seem to be overridden by just the sheer force of the government. When you hear a Mark Zuckerberg say, hey, the FBI warded me off and warned me against allowing the Hunter Biden laptop to be there, and then the FBI comes out a couple of days later and says, oh, yeah, we do that routinely. Your thought about the FBI now entering into the free speech space?
2: Oh, it's not just the FBI. I I have to say the Foundation for Freedom Online uh, is doing an incredible job at really highlighting what the government has been doing in terms of censorship. Uh, there is a vast amount of information on that website. Um, it's Michael Becks, right? He does an incredible job and just today, a new report was, was, uh, was he put up a new report that talks about the DHS doing, uh, cartoons and things that were shown on Facebook and other social media platforms in which it was like cartoons saying, hey, if you see your Uncle Steve posting these things, you make sure that you reach out and tell someone. And that was created by our government, John. Our government created that. Our government was taking down information about ballot boxes and mail-in ballots if someone pushed back against them. Our The Department of Homeland Security was doing that. I can't even imagine what the disinformation team at DOJ looks like. It's very difficult to permeate what DOJ does. I mean, they really have a a very protective kind of bubble around them. And so Michael going in and showing what happened through cybersecurity at DHS is, is, is very important work. I really urge your listeners to go on foundation uh, for freedom online. It's a great website.
0: It is relatively new and really starting to turn up some amazing things. I mean, you have the government, the first amendment has always been clear, right? And the government's not going to abridge your free speech rights. And yet now we have agencies that have full-time people that seem like that's what they're doing. They're policing for things that they can abridge. Do you think these cases get to the Supreme court at some point we, and we get a more definitive ruling from the Supreme court that the government should get out of the business of censorship?
2: Well, one would hope so. one would hope that you know I worked a little I worked some on the president's um, lawsuit against big tech, and this first Amendment you know the idea that the government that that social media has really become sort of part of the government it's it's also intertwined, so they do have a first Amendment concern just routinely is being thrown out uh, Hermit Dylan had a great has a great lawsuit with um, DC, known as DC Drano, right? Um, She's got a great lawsuit that's moving up that's similar. He has even more particular information about the California government and how closely they worked with social media. Do I think that the Supreme Court overturns this? I mean, so far they've kicked it back to the legislature and said, section 230, section 230, you know, with this information coming out from Michael on Foundation for Freedom Online, I have to say that that, that's next level. And that is giving me hope, Uh, not just hope. uh, It's very important for the American people to understand how much the federal government is controlling the information that they receive on a daily basis that is beyond a banana republic. Then we are truly into uh, socialism, right? I, I mean, when your government is controlling the information that you, that you receive, this is, um, I really, really hope that in the next Congress, we are able to start having hearings and understanding how cyber, the cybersecurity office at the Department of Homeland Security in the last administration, pivoted from looking at national security issues to all of a sudden just very quietly starting to look at, quote-unquote, domestic issues, and then focusing on elections. This is really scary, John.
0: It's really, it is remarkable, and these are real things that happen, right? These are things that now, because of what the Foundation for Freedom Online is turning up, you're seeing Homeland, FBI, others, directly involved in censoring or pressuring others to censor. So that's sort of the gimmick, right? Let's get a third party to do it. We'll just give them all the weapons so that they do it. It's pretty remarkable what he's turned up in a short period of time. And I suspect we're going to find out a lot more, especially with the FBI now saying, oh, we do this all the time. It's routine. I think that's going to get a lot of people's attention. You talked about the rise of the administrative state. I want to end with this because I think a lot of people still are absorbing this. 87,000 new IRS agents in the budget, $80 billion in new enforcement money. Where does this end up between everyday Americans and a much larger IRS?
2: Well, the piece that I wrote um, for AMAC, uh, and I think they put it up on Real Clear Politics, is is really about the equity, um, executive order. So the very first thing that the Biden-Harris administration signed was this uh, executive order, uh, mandating a whole of government approach to equity. Their definition of equity is not equality. It's, uh, uh, Kamala Harris said it. It's making sure that we all are the same or we all end up in the same place. That's not equality. I mean, that that's, a, that's a different view of this country, right? And so you take these IRS agents and, you, and every single agency had to file an, an equity action plan. And so the equity action plans are all online. You can go and look at any piece of legislation that has been passed since uh, 2021 and existing pieces of legislation and how the agencies are going to fit them into their equity action plan terrifyingly with the IRS, they want to start to collect demographic data, meaning they want to find out race, um, ethnicity, and gender. And they're doing that by, in a couple of, they have a methodology worked out, which includes getting information from the Census Bureau. The Census Bureau makes assumptions about 33% of the American people, of citizens in this country, if you don't fill out your um, census form, then the government will just make assumptions and kind of fill it out for you. So based on that, they're going to create tax reform and then they're going to look at where there are un, there is unfairness in the tax code. Now the I, you know money is green. I, I, the IRS has always been colorblind for good reason. We see what happens when they start to operate in a more biased fashion. Like they did against conservatives in two thousand and thirteen, there were never big repercussions of that, but it was proven and I have to say that this puts us in a horrific position also every IRS agent um, hired at least in this administration will have to undergo their you know indoctrination of diversity equity sensitivity inclusion training so I have to say that we really need to be concerned um, about the weaponization of the IRS in more ways than the number, the budget, you know, the fact that they have guns, the fact that they're going after collections. We have to look at it with an eye toward this whole idea of the Biden-Harris equity push.
0: You know, we saw Minneapolis say they're going to fire teachers based on their race. Do you fear, based on what you're seeing now, that the IRS may be setting up a targeting system where audits and enforcement decisions are based on race rather than the merits of the case? Yes. How do we stop it?
2: Uh, Vote Republican. Uh, Vote for, uh, you know, we need a wave in 2022. We have to have a wave. And then we have to really push our legislators. You know, for those of us here in DC, we have to push our legislators to have hearings to be uncovering these things. We need to be showing the American people what you, good people like you, John, who constantly pushes the messages that need to be heard. We need to not stop. And in 2024, we need a president who cannot be controlled by these sort of Davos elite, and it is a bipartisan group. Okay, I go back again to the, you know, to the um, uh, Foundation for Freedom Online. You know, you look at this Davos elite that just wants to control people and have authority over the people in this country. Tell them what to think, tell them what to feel. We need a president who is gonna fight in 2024. As unpleasant as it might be, we need that person in office. We also need a plan. Heritage is working on an incredible uh, transition plan for 2025, and I it really is fantastic and it's inclusive of all or all the policy organizations in Washington. We need to implement that day one. Day one, we were so hand and so handcuffed by that Russia investigation. Yeah, that I feel like we really need to hit the ground running in 2025. So please vote Republican.
0: Yeah, it's such a remarkable moment to think that people are putting together an agenda, not have the missteps or the slow start that 2017 gave us because the whole world was sucked into the Russia collusion story. Katie, how do people follow the good work you're doing? You're doing so many important things in this space. I know Independent Women's Forum, a lot of things. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with your work?
2: Yep, I'm a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, and I, I'm on the board of the Recovery for American Now Foundation, which is doing great work. John, I have to confess, my detriment i do not i am not on social media <laughs> because
0: I, it's not necessarily a detriment yeah
2: so when i get the clip from today i'll just end up texting it to people and they post it for me but my name is katie sullivan and um i'm in amac quite often they're very gracious to let me uh, publish and so I just am not on social media. I refuse to do it.
0: You and a lot of others. Uh, I think uh, the vitriol probably warns uh, that uh, people thinking about that for sure. Katie, what an honor to have you on the show. Such great thoughts, things we ought to be digging into, particularly that IRS issue. That's one that we're going to put on the front boiler. All right. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. That's the code JustNews50 at Factormeals.com. One more time, Factormeals.com slash JustNews50. Use the JustNews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. IRS penalty-canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Just News. That's TNUSA.com slash News. All right, folks. Welcome back for the commercial break. So excited you can join us today. What a great way to kick off Monday. Two really substantive newsy guests, Back to back, starting with Kash Patel, who uh, you heard. I uh, witnessed the president declassifying documents, and not just the Russia documents. That's important. And then separately, Katie Sullivan talking about a lot of the legal issues surrounding the size of a big government, the size of the law enforcement, the strike on the president's home with the raid. All of those issues very important to digest. And when you hear someone on the inside, I think that's really exciting to. Know that there are people who work in the Justice Department that see problems with it. Hard to ignore things when you have those sort of experts. We're really lucky about that. All right, before we go today, I want to shout out one of our great partners, the Donors Trust. They're doing amazing things. They are a great sponsor, a great partner of Just the News, John Solomon Reports. uh, Let Donors Trust help you manage your charitable giving. Allow them to help you align your values with the charitable contributions you give. There are lots of like-minded people that listen to this podcast every day. They believe limited government and constitutional rights are worth fighting for. Now, if you're one of them and you're already doing some donations, let Donors Trust give you an assessment. Are you really doing the most for your dollar? you Are getting the most bang for your buck? If you already have a donor advised fund, consider opening a rollover account. It can be done in three simple steps by calling my friends at DonorTrust.com. The Donors Trust team will work with you to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals. Partner with a fund that matches your values. To learn more, download their prospectus at DonorsTrust.org slash Just The News. We'll go one more time. DonorsTrust.org slash Just The News. Align your giving with your values. That's what Donors Trust does. Check them out today at DonorsTrust.org slash Just The News. All right, folks, that wraps up today's show. Thanks for listening. God bless you. We'll be back tomorrow with some more breaking news, lots of interesting news on the horizon. Take care. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out.